This episode is brought to you by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Learn more at slashandcast.net. I'm your host, Gray, and tonight I'm joined by my internet co-host, we have Devin, we have Ash. Say what's up, everyone. What's up, everyone? Hello out there. <laughs> it's actually a false start, because I will not be the host of the show tonight. Uh, Mr. Baldwin actually will be, so I'm going to shut up. Oh, use my government name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> tonight we'll be discussing... One of horror's greatest films, um, a movie that was critically adored and audiences loved across the board. I am, of course, talking Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason <laughs> Takes Manhattan. Damn. <laughs> but before we get into Jason's uh, New York shenanigans, uh, Ash, what's been yeah. on your TV lately? What have you been watching? So... If you follow me on Twitter, I tweet about feeling like I've been neglecting my horror movies because Girlfriends have been on Netflix. I've been binge watching it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) But I have made some time to um, check out some movies. I checked out The Cleaning Lady, which is streaming on Prime. And that was an interesting film. Um, Hold up. Yes, yes. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just remember I started that movie and never went back to it. That's the one with the mask. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot all about it. Go ahead. But but yeah, it, my nice way of putting it, it's interesting. Um, there is a lot of, there's a high level of creep factor in it. So that's promising. I didn't like how it, how it ended. Um, let's see couple nights ago I revisited the remake of The House on Haunting Hill and I've I, it's been almost like 10 years since I've last watched that movie is that the one with Tay Diggs? uh huh okay okay I like that yeah I mean it's a good movie and then there's actually a sequel of it but I've mm. never finished that one it's yeah. forgettable but <laughs> But yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've been um, hitting up the Dollar Tree, too, and buying some Sugar Skull decorations, because if you know me, I love Sugar Skulls. What are Sugar Skulls? Oh, oh my gosh. So they use them for, like, um, um, Day of the Dead. Okay. Yeah, so. Oh, like the skulls. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm up. Oh, no. Ooh, that would be cool, though, if they came out with the candy. <laughs> There's probably, like, a sucker or something like that shaped as a sugar skull, but, yeah, so. I'm I'm literally obsessed with sugar skulls. I have one tattooed on my arm, and I just love them. So that's what I've been up to. What about you? 
gray. I I haven't been um I've been binging a lot of shows. I just watched the Netflix show Away this weekend. I also watched the Hulu show uh, Woke this weekend. Actually, I think that was just Monday, but you know, days blur together. Mm-hmm. But horror wise, I'm not sure if you guys have seen this gem on Shudder, but I watched The Baby the other day for the first time. <gasps> And I literally shuddered at some of the fucking scenes <laughs> in this movie. I don't know how I never knew it existed, but this movie is for real disturbing. What at a PG it? rating. The baby. Oh my gosh, yes. That movie is batshit crazy, dude. And to put the you know nail in the coffin, spoiler alert, if you guys aren't aware, skip ahead 15 seconds. The fucking twist at the end. Like, I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> we can wrap up. We're done here. And I was like, oh, it gets worse. Um, but anyway, so that took the cake. I don't think I've watched anything. I revisited Deadly Friend this morning. Or I purchased Deadly Friend this morning and watched it. I love that movie. I don't know why no one has ever done a sequel to it. I think that it, it could have technology is now advanced. Like, I didn't like that BB's fucking vision was all blurred and shit. I thought that was just dumb. Why would a robot have blurred vision? But of course, it was 1986. No disrespect to Wes Craven or whoever was on that team, because the robot at the time, I thought that shit was badass. I remember watching that movie mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized that Chrissy Swanson's character as uh, as the deceased is mimicking BB and her movements. So as an adult, I have a new profound respect for her performance that I once thought was dumb. Like, I just I was just like, why is she moving like that? She's just dead. Um, but, you know, kid brain versus adult brain. I uh, love the movie. I wish I watched it more. Do you think that Chrissy Swanson's character, BB, her name is? Or Samantha, I'm sorry. Samantha. Samantha's her character name when she's alive. But You, you think Samantha would be a Trump supporter now? Mm. Whew, tough question. <laughs> yeah, because she, she definitely sympathizes with her abuser. So, mm. Mm. Uh, telltale sign. You can't see me, Gray, but I'm giving you a virtual high five. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what I've been watching. I started uh, Lovecraft Country, the book. I uh, started Chainsaw Confidential, the book. And um, just catching up on podcasts. I, I um, You know, I'm very behind Dex Shepard. Damn, I don't know where that accent came from. Dax Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> Armchair Expert episode, and this is like a while back. Like I said, I'm catching up. Uh, Cheryl Crow episode was surprisingly delightful. Like, I knew very little of that woman's career other than she went on tour with Michael Jackson, and she was definitely in one of the videos um, that my grandmother used to play back in all the time. Like, that's when she came out with Island in the Sun or something in the Sun, Sunshine in the Sun. Like, that's all I knew of her. I was like, oh, that's a girl from Michael Jackson. Or woman, because she was in her 30s, which I also didn't realize. Mm-hmm. 
So it was good stuff. I mean, I'm sure Dax interviews a lot of celebrities, and it's great for all types of people. So I'm not saying anything uh, groundbreaking. I think at one point he had the number one podcast in the world. So, of course, he's doing really? good shit. Yep. Oh, wow. I didn't know he was that big. Okay, cool. I think it's it. the uh, format of the show. I, of course, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners like myself, unless you're traveling for work, you only listen to the celebrities you're aware of. Yeah. But every once in a while, you know, one episode finishes and the next episode kicks in and you're just like, I actually don't want to get to know this person. It's fine. Okay, I'm going to have to check out his podcast and see who I like. I um, I like Dax Shepard, I think. I think, sure. So I need to watch this listen to a show. Yeah, I think he, uh, what his show does well, uh, I'm, I, you know, America doesn't need me to tell them this, is that he is okay with admitting his flaws in life through mm-hmm. tons of therapy, AA, yada, 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 so that he's able to recognize things and the people he's interviewing as well. And some of it can become cathartic or therapeutic uh, mid-interview. And I think that's the part that I like the most is that like he's not like deliberately saying, it's like, oh, you were exposed to this as a child, so of course you have daddy issues. Mm-hmm. Like, in your face. But it's like, hey, do you ever think that maybe like you doing that as a kid repeatedly led to your adult life of doing this? And it just gives a more so organic thing versus like, yes, I researched you and I'm saying this and I'm saying this to impress you. Interesting. So it's not the Joe Rogan experience. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one, no, no one's smoking dope on the show, baby. <laughs> Damn. And you know, I just don't for the record, get Joe Rogan. I know he has his fans. I know that uh, he has a livelihood. I, I more power to him. He makes millions of dollars an episode. I think we make two cents an episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's your own. It's just not for me. That's all. It, it's 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 certainly not for me either. Um, I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> I've said too much between this episode and last episode. Um, I don't want to get canceled. Um, that's good. We started our uh, we typically start our, our aggressive Halloween or horror movie watching October 1st. But we kicked off spooky season earlier this year because you know, why not? It's 2020. Um, and so of course you have to watch all of the Halloween movies. But what I'm going to do is, well, what I've, I am doing is we decided to watch the Rob Zombie movies first, like as one collection. And then maybe this weekend, maybe next, we're going to watch Hall- the first Halloween and then Halloween 2018. And then throughout the month of October, watch, you know, two through eight, I guess, just in order. I, I want to say I was talking to Bobby Torres with a Z. I thought <laughs> I owned Rob Zombie's Halloween, but I only own uh, H2. I don't know why I never bought the first disc. And this is before like I had an opinion and taste, and I was just buying everything. But somehow, I, mean, I never did. To be fair, you own the better one of the two, so... That's what I tend to think. Uh, yeah. 
However, I didn't get a chance to buy the Scream Factory box set. You know what? Speaking of which, I know I told you guys on Slack <laughs> that I was trying to get the Scarlet box. I lost out. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I'll throw some money down. Fuck it. They're encouraging me. I'm just going to treat myself. And I was like, I think I put down my max bid was like 150 And then like I got out of bed. I was like, all right, I'm going to raise it to 175 and it just sat there, and I got the the uh, you know the notification. It was like, all right, well, there's moments left in this. I was like, damn, I got this, and it's like ten seconds left. And I'm not the most well-rounded eBay person. Like I was like, I'm really seventy-five dollars over what I wanted to pay, but it is sealed, so I feel like this is a good opportunity for me. Um, within ten seconds, we get to three seconds. I get notified that I'm outbid. I'm like, fuck. I put it back oh, in. No. I was like, raise it to 200. Uh, it ends. The shit in, in three seconds escalated to $250. <gasps> wow. Um, I never had a chance. I, was, I wasn't even in the correct game to begin with. Uh-uh. There are people that just know better. Great. I have good news for you. Lay it on me. I will leave you, you, you. You're the person. Did you beat me? No. <laughs> I will leave you uh, my Halloween box set in my will. It is all yours. I I will still want it. Then I just want you to know. I will I mean, keep it. <laughs> we don't know what's gonna happen in the next hour and a half. So as far as I'm concerned, my Halloween box set is all yours. I appreciate that. I really. I'll even throw in. I'll even throw in Halloween 2018 for good measure. Aww. You know, that would make my collection that much greater. <laughs> and Ash, yes. you got both my copies of Friday the 13th Part 7. Hey! <laughs> I'll have a total of, like, four. <laughs> okay, well, I will give you uh, a Blu-ray version of Friday the 13th Part 8. Hey. Listen, act like... He's an ass. I mean, it's better than goes to hell, but. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at my collection right now, and I own three copies of 2018, and only one of them is open. You got that steel co- steel case co- um, version, right? I do have a steel case version. Ah. Speaking Those of collections. So is there a Texas Chainsaw box set? No. I was mm-hmm. actually looking at this, and I think it's because the property has waffled so much mm-hmm. that there isn't one person that owns a majority of them. Yeah. Well, imagine if they were, were to release a box set. I would spend monies on that. I still need to order my Friday 13th one, but yeah. Anyways. Ash. <laughs> You need to get on that. See, what happened was... <laughs> <laughs> I am literally almost at the point of buying the copy, the version that's available now just to have to sell later. Because this will disappear. It's like <laughs> buying stock, except it's horror. <laughs> and in case people listening at home have the same idea, I will complete this before this episode airs. <laughs> I um 
We watched a movie called Bats the other night. Have you guys seen that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Diamond Phillips. Yes. yes. So, granted, I was high as shit. I'll, I'll be fully transparent. But that movie was good. I, I, good is a strong word. It was enjoyable. Let me say that. I, I wanted to see the sequel. That's how much I liked the movie. I never knew it had a sequel. What's the sequel called? Like Bats, Harvest, Moon, or something like that. Let me look it up. It's not called Bats 2. There's like Bats in the subtitle. Doesn't it still take place in Texas? Uh, I don't know. But I know none of the cast came back. They were all under contract to come back. It's called Bats Human Harvest. And it's a TV movie from 2007. So uh, that could fingers, be why. Fingers crossed that it's good. But um, <laughs> the cast were contracted to come back. But like, you know, the con- the expiration date on the contract ran out. So... But um, instead of uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, we do have a Sir David Chokachi from TV's Baywatch. So there we go. Hey. <laughs> You're being facetious. He's not really knighted, right? He's American. No, he, he's he's fully American. Yeah, he that boy is American. He's American as fuck. No okay. one from Baywatch needs to be knighted. <laughs> no. No, he's from Massachusetts, so... Okay. <laughs> um, no, you know, what? I was actually watching... So when we're recording, I usually have... I'm in my, my office, um, also my bedroom, and I usually have the TV playing in the background, obviously on mute with some old horror movie. And previously, I was watching Tammy and the T-Rex, right? Hey. The... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else in the world may know this. This is just me, okay? But the movie, the title card on the movie calls her Tanny in the T-Rex. Tanny and T-A-N-N-Y instead of Tammy T-A-N-M-Y. Did you guys ever notice that? No. Yeah, it's actually called Tanny. Tanny with an N N as a Nancy and the T-Rex. And that's the on the title card. And then also when they introduced Denise Richards, you know, her, her name... And they say her name is Tanny with an M. So, just throwing it out there for you guys. What do you think they, uh, Tanny just wasn't popular enough at the time? Or Tammy <sighs> wasn't popular? No. Yeah, Tammy. Why would they do that? Yeah, an inept intern, maybe? I don't know. It was odd. No. What's odd is Denise Richards almost looks the same in that movie as she does present day. I mean, she paid enough to look the same, so I would <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not mad at the work she's gotten done. Um, Y'all are wrong, because that's all natural. Yeah. I'm just kidding. About as natural as Paul Walker and that other kid holding each other's crotches. Oh, shoot. Let's just squeeze dicks until one of us says we enjoy it. Mm. <laughs> that young Denise Richards will later have an affair with one of her housewives co-stars and then leave the show afterwards. Just you know what? My girlfriend was trying to explain that to me. And I was just like, so what was she afraid of? Like, in my mind, mm-hmm. if you married and dated Charlie Sheen and survived, mm-hmm. there's nothing you should be afraid of in life. Basically. Nothing. Also, my eyes, uh, 
Charlie Sheen's can do nothing else to surprise me or wrong. Like, I don't need to see news on him. Charlie no. Sheen joins KKK? Doesn't bother me. It's, it, it's Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie Sheen and Kanye West have kind of fallen into the same category, right? Uh-oh. Like, uh, there are two people I don't want to talk to, I don't want to see, I don't want to <laughs> smell, I certainly don't have sex with. Oh, I don't want to listen to, you know? I feel like Charlie Sheen could be more valuable to people than Kanye. I mean, he has survived cocaine, the 80s, and AIDS. Like, and we need to study that body. I was going to make a Hot Shots Part 2 reference in there, too. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Sheen. I cannot believe I used to think he was hot. All right. You're not the only person in the world. I never <laughs> like, thought he was hot. You did? I never thought he was. I never thought. Oh. I never found him attractive. Not even in the 80s? No, but his brother, Emilio. Yeah. Yeah, That's I, like, I like someone who's not ashamed of their heritage. But Amelia was really hot in, in Breakfast Club as well. He was. We're just going to dump on Carlos like that, huh? <laughs> you know, he did He did take on the name of Carlos Estevez in the Machete Kills, which everybody saw, naturally. But, oh well. well, yeah, I mean, that was obviously a Spanish-heavy film, so it's like... It'd be weird if he didn't. Yeah. In case people don't know what the joke is, Charlie Sheen is Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our listeners that weren't aware of that. You know, I, you know and it's funny. Heritage. Emilio Estevez and Martin Sheen, uh, if you look at like a young Martin Sheen, like Apocalypse now Martin Sheen, they could have been twins. I know it's a son, but they look like the spitting image of each other. Uh, Martin's name is Ramon. I remember that. Oh, it is? Yeah, he's got one of those authentic, like, five-piece uh, names. Oh, wow. Or Ramon's the first part, for sure. Go off. Okay. And also, I want people listening at home, I, I didn't mean any disrespect by that. I just, I'm just saying, like, it's a longer or more traditional even. I don't know what the proper vernacular is, so I do apologize. But, yeah. anyway, I'm going to stop talking. He's still alive, right? Yes. Martin Sheen, yes. Okay, good. Good. Do we have any horror news for today? Yes, we do. I'm listening. All right, first, let me do some birthday shout-outs. So today is September 17th, and we have two special birthdays today. Turning 62, we have Jennifer Tilly. Which I am still in shock that she is 62 years old. Excuse me, Jennifer? T- Wait a minute. You mean from Bride of Chucky, Jennifer? Yes. Tilly. Yes. Whoa. 62 years old, and she looks amazing. Milk does a body good. Damn. It has to be the half Asian in her. I thought Homegirl was like 43. Not mm-hmm. even kidding. No, not even Meg or twin sister is that young. Wow. <laughs> But yes, and following, we have Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira herself, turning 69, looking phenomenal, too. 
Woo-hoo. Uh, cause, uh, damn, I can't even speak. I I have heard rumors. I've never seen her at a convention, She's but amazing. she does not go directly in the sunlight. She carries an umbrella or ca- covers her body, and she says that is part of her uh, uh, beauty secret. Oh, and I don't know if that's about true. That. I've never physically seen her say that, but if it is true, that uh, it's worked. Because Elvira today looks almost fitting image of Elvira in 1988, oh, or whatever yeah. year I discovered her. I spent a hundred dollars to get my picture taken with her, just as Elvira, and I look like shit, but she looks amazing. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Even today, me taking a photo, I would say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. But some other news. Our guy, Jonathan Majors, has been cast as a new Marvel villain in the upcoming Ant-Man film. Kang the Conqueror. Yes. Big and, Jonathan Majors. Yes. Which is will be interesting if you want me to nerd out on you for a little bit. So, um, if you guys don't know this, Ant Man has had two different treatments: one written by Paul Rudd and one written by the studio. One introduces the Fantastic Four into uh, Marvel or mutants into the Marvel universe, um, in which Kang the Conqueror is Reed's Richards, Mister Fantastic's long descendant in the future. Um, King the Conqueror is the villain of time, basically. So there are multiple versions of him throughout the Marvel Universe because he is master time travel. And it makes sense for him to uh, interact with Ant-Man because Ant-Man just went into the quantum realm to reset everything in Endgame. So that would have put Ant-Man on King's radar, so to speak. I have not seen a script or anything like that. I'm just rounding it together for you all and then the other version which will be interesting to see how they would handle it would introduce the young avengers in which king the conqueror a different version of him is iron lad which would make him the replacement for iron man however iron lad is younger so you know young avengers so it'll be interesting to see if they would have two different versions of kang on screen at the same time to, you know, better inlay the multiverse as well as uh, the duality of the character interacting with itself, which I think Jonathan Majors is completely capable of. That sounds so complicated, <laughs> but in so it's like me explaining oh, I don't know um, the Halloween timeline to someone who's never watched Halloween. That's it's in, but it's interesting though. So, Jonathan Major, like the, the the character that he plays, is a time traveler, and so they can kind of fit him into different stories. From what you're saying, right? Yeah, they can fit him anywhere because there's in the comics hundreds of versions of him. Where he lives, mm-hmm. um, which has been featured in uh, an Avengers epic or movie. Um, mm-hmm. Is a dome place in each neighborhood intersects with a different timeline. So, like, he populates this whole area, and you know, it might go this version of him goes to 
1976 or 1973, where the pin particles are, that allowed Ant-Man to travel. So he could go all the way back there to try and stop Ant-Man or Iron Man, really, from taking the pin particles and then bring Thanos back just to fuck with people. Ooh. The most interesting about that is, mm-hmm. and I don't. I'm I'm sure this this was not a motivation in casting Jonathan Majors in this role, this role. But if this is a character who can sort of, uh, you know, time travel and there's different versions of him, let's just say he does a couple, couple of movies, and I don't know. He asks for you know thirty nine million dollars for the next one. They can easily recast him, and it wouldn't really you know hurt the story. Or did uh, I get that is, wrong? No, that's very true. Um, but it also allows him to be able to keep going. Mm. Because let's say he's introducing Ant-Man and they defeat him. A different Kang can still come back and like fight the Young Avengers. And like that's how you introduce Iron Lad. He comes back as Iron Lad to fight the Young Avengers, or that's why the Young Avengers assemble, and then they change his heart, and he later joins them. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, Kate Bishop, who would be Hawkeye's daughter, would be the leader of the group, and then we'll see how it goes if Iron Lad took over. But there's multiple possibilities of how you would keep uh, Jonathan in the franchise, because even if one version of him dies, he could come back as a different version. He has the duality. He can come back as good or evil. Oh, and there's okay. only been so many people that have gone against them, like Cable, which we've seen in Deadpool, which now Disney owns. So it could bring Cable back. Uh, it could bring keep Doctor Strange in it longer because he can manipulate time. Um, as well as the Young Avengers could assemble to defeat him. So there's so many possibilities of just introducing him as the next supervillain mm-hmm. um, that really could solidify Jonathan Majors as long or uh, yeah it could as long as he wants to keep involved in the franchise I like that I like that go off Jonathan Majors as well as it could open a door to bring Robert Downey Jr. back because at some point I forget the comics but Tony Stark does become the conqueror at one point. Is that that that's the villain, right? Tony Stark, Iron Man? No, no, the um conqueror. Oh, King the Conqueror, yes, is the villain. But at one point, Iron Man or Tony Stark does become King the Conqueror. Or it takes on that mantle. No different than Shuri taking on the Black Panther mantle. Or uh, Falcon taking Captain American mantle. Uh, those things get passed on to different people in different iterations. Um, like I said, before Chadwick Boseman's untimely death, I thought it would be great if Shuri took the mantle on, which was going to happen regardless. Like, hands down. Uh, but they still had the marriage between Storm and the Black Panther. Except Shuri is the Black Panther. So then we get our first official uh, gay couple. 
married gay couple. I want it. It would be nice. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't work at Disney, and I don't really have say-so, but I, I think it would be, if we have an opportunity for representation, let's go for it. <coughs> and bring back Alexander, Alexandra shit. She can still be Storm. Her and Shuri should be around the same age. And I actually like her playing Storm, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what contracts say. It may not be that easy. It could be like, yes, you have the characters, but you can't have any of the actors. And, you know, that's just Fox's power move. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope they treat their actors better than DC treats their actors based on Ray Fisher's um, <laughs> situation. I even, um, what's that? Uh, Jason Momoa, I saw him add two... Uh, mm-hmm. Or co-sign Ray's experience, and that he even had the same issues, and uh, I, I was ha- very happy to see that. Yeah, it's not like Kiersey Clemens. I guess she was in Justice League, but all her all of her scenes got cut. But right. she um, co-signed on his as well. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Okay. Well, any more horror news? I have plenty, so I'm just going to leave it off with this one. We are finally getting some more Thanksgiving horror. It's just been announced that there's going to be um, a retro-style slasher um, Thanksgiving-themed horror movie coming out. It's having its premiere um, at the Salem Horror Fest in October, and it's called The Last... Thanksgiving. A little synopsis is a family of cannibalistic pilgrims attack a restaurant that stays open for Thanksgiving. So, is it a, never mind, never mind. Is it a what? Nothing. That's an off air. Well, yeah, it's uh, the writer and director is Eric Lorick. Lorink, sorry if I butcher your last name if you're listening, but yeah, it was just announced like an hour and a half ago. So I was like, "Oh snap, let me write that down," because we barely get any Thanksgiving horror. Eli Roth, I am still waiting for that movie to be dropped. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just gonna end it with that. I, I'm looking for you know I I think we need more holiday horror that goes outside of Halloween and and Christmas, like we need more like you said Ash we need more Thanksgiving horror we have you know Blood Range and um, uh, Things Killing are the two big ones that come to mind, mm-hmm. but I would love a nice uh, you know another New Year's Eve um, horror movie or something that takes place on Memorial Day or or I don't know. Martin Luther King Day? I don't know. That would be kind of problematic. But you know what I mean. Oh, God. Give me a Tales from the Hood entry on Juneteenth. Ooh. Maybe that's in the third one. Yeah. Let's, uh... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say anything rude. I'm trying to be polite. Sure? Right, well, you, 
Directed by Quentin Tarantino. There oh, I said okay. it. Oh my god. Where's gosh. my wine? You know what? I think this edible is just now kicking in. So, all right. So here we're discuss. We're here to discuss Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Jason Takes Manhattan came out in 1989. It is, of course, the seventh sequel in the Friday the Thirteenth series. It is also notoriously the final film produced by Paramount before they sold the rights to New Line Cinema in the 90s. Uh, this story, if you're listening to this podcast, I have an idea you know what the movie is about, but per IMDb, a boat full of graduating high school students headed to Manhattan accidentally pulled Jason Voorhees along for the ride. So I'm going to start with you, Gray, first. Ash, you're welcome. Gray, <laughs> what's a good... Uh, like, uh, <laughs> what, what, what's your interpretation of the synopsis for this movie? Friday 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan is a treat a treat um, it is the first entry in the franchise where we have jason resurrected through electricity and fantasy in which a class of graduating 75 people all of a sudden die on a boat leaving three or four people to survive a houseboat that has a nightclub in it you know a weight room a boxing ring uh but a you know sauna. Fantasy, only to bring Jason via Crystal Lake to Manhattan. You know, you guys figure that one out for yourselves. And um, I don't know. Jason hates the climate there, so he's profusely sweating the whole time and always wet, only to drown and revert to his childhood self. There you go. That is the movie right there, y'all. That's right. <laughs> Ash. He got me beat. I can't stand it. <laughs> Ash, what's your, what's your interpretation of the movie? It's definitely not that. He got me beat. But, he got me um, beat, too. I got, like, one sentence. I just said, after being shocked back to life by a random cable, Jason decides to take a well-deserved vacation, slashing mm-hmm. his way through the hearts of high school seniors and wrecking havoc in the grimy city itself. New York, aka Manhattan. I mean, you're not wrong at all. Like that is also very accurate. <laughs> oh, you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, mine is shit. Um, I, I, I just said basically they ran out of ideas, and so Jason's now going to New York for more victims. That's all I got. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh man, so so very true. Yeah, so overall, like this is the eighth film <laughs> in this franchise, and I I, I don't I, I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I feel confident in saying this is the first part eight of a of a franchise, not the eighth installment, because the the James Bond films aren't technically sequels in the same regard these films are, but I feel like this is the first part eight of a franchise. What do you guys feel? How, how do you guys think this movie ranks in terms of the franchise? Is it like in the better half or like the lower half or somewhere in the middle? Lower. <laughs> you want to think about it more, Ash? You want to put more thought into it? Uh uh-uh, uh, lower. <laughs> what are you, Greg? I don't know. Someone is singing Slave Hymnals. 
through my wall right now. I don't know if the mic's going to pick that up. Wait, what? What? Are they watching, like, Antebellum or something? I don't know. Oh, could be. But, uh, I'm sorry. You need me to come get you? (laughs) Maybe. Like, like, I'm like, do I need Sage? Someone is sad over there. Um... Compared to, are we talking just the Paramount entries, or are we talking about New Line as well? All of it, the whole, the whole enchilada. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love it. I, for me, this is a stronger entry. Um, asterisk, asterisk. Mm-hmm. Uh, only because it brings jason Voorhees into our timeline so to speak because it is 1989 and obviously it's 2020 now but it makes crystal lake part of america through teleportation <laughs> hmm. what do you so mean by we've, that we've never had a single horror movie uh fans correct me if i'm wrong on twitter that has taken place in a major city with major landmarks that proves that it is the city that we say it's operating in. Oh, I get it. Okay. Like, yes, a vast majority of this film was shot in Canada. However, you can tell. <laughs> even the parts of T- Times Square that they made up, like, one thing, I don't even know why, but as a kid, never have been to New York in my life. But I'd been to D.C. And the scene where the, is it Susie? Damn, I should I should know this. Jim and Susie? Yeah, Jim and Susie. Okay, the moment they hit 42nd Ave, Times Square, and they're walking around looking, and then oh. Jason comes out from the subway, I realized that there's air grates there or exhaust fan or grates in the ground. So the little spot that they're coming up or the subway exit that they're getting out of doesn't exist. Because there's no way the exhaust mm. would be next to an escalator. And that just always stuck out to me. It's just like, what is going on there that doesn't make sense that couldn't be there? Yeah. Sure enough. Rennie and Sean. Well. Sorry. Who? Rennie and Sean. Oh, Jim and Susie are the two on the boat in the beginning. Oh, fucking Jim. There's a serial killer. I'm just going to show him my O face. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. yeah. Um, that was, anyway. I think that was the first time I ever saw a movie where he killed Susie. That was the first time I think I ever rooted for the killer. Like, just, just kill her. She was annoying. <laughs> she had played, just kill her. I'm over That's it. That scream, though. Oh she could have ran. She could have got out there. <laughs> like, even Tara Reid screamed better than that. Are you disrespecting the name of Tara Reid <laughs> on the Kill the Dead podcast? Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, yeah, Jim, I, but Jim was cute. He was. Yeah, I, I actually, in my um, ranking I, I, I did on the website, I need to jesse.com. Um, I actually ranked him as the cutest guy in the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Well, this is years ago, though. Um, 
yeah, as an I adult, think... I've been in New York and realized that they didn't shoot a lot of scenes in New York. Mm-hmm. And then after watching the DVD, of course, or the not the DVD, the documentary, uh, you realize it's because of budget budget constraints. Yeah, you know what's interesting too. I'm kind of piggybacking off you, Gray. Is this film? You know, it. it you know, I'm using air quotes. It takes place in in New York. And the biggest criticism of this movie is the fact that it's not in New York. This is obviously Vancouver. But like for the short time they actually did film in New York, it was actually great. Like that that the Times Square sign with a big Coca Cola sign, like that was great. And that New York no longer exists. <laughs> that is mm-hmm. like a that is a, a New York that just that died probably with this movie. Um, thank you, gentrification. But you know, whatever. Um, you know, for I think for me, it's this is definitely on the on the, the bottom of the totem pole, but it's certainly not the worst. Um, it's it's the most tame, I think, and the most bloodless, I think, in a series. Next, probably part seven. Um, and I, I it's a funny thing. I actually remember when this movie came out, and it got really mixed reviews, like any slasher film. But the positive reviews that came from critics were they were they were actually happy that this film wasn't as bloody and and gore and, and intensive as the other films were. And I'm like, well, you guys are missing the point of the Friday the 13th series. Uh, it's still not the worst for me. Um, this is also the second time Kane Hodder has played Jason. He will play him for two more films. Uh, what did you guys think of Kane Hobbit's performance in the movie? Like, how does he rank as a Jason sector against all the other Jasons, you guys? I would. Oh. I like that. <laughs> I think it's hard for me to judge him on this performance. This is the most impressionable performance. Uh, just mainly because... It's New York, but I think that New York is more so the character than Jason. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that, but I also know the behind-the-scenes fact of Kane Hodder said this is his best time as Jason. Oh. Best role as Jason. Like, he loved being Jason in uh, Times Square and, like, doing shit and just having people, like, you know, crowd of fans watching his performance and then reacting to him in full Jason makeup, just like looking at them. Yeah. Um, so, with that being said, like I compared to like Jason Goes to Hell, where he's not really in it and he low key plays Freddy as well. Mm-hmm. And then Jason X, I'm biased about. Because that's definitely one of my favorite Friday Thirteenth. I would honestly say it would go the full catalog, part three, part two, then Jason X. Part three is your favorite, like yeah, favorite Friday movie or favorite Jason movie? Favorite Jason. Okay. Okay. Like I, I, I like Hillbilly Jason in part two, mm-hmm. but like that's not intentional. <laughs> like obviously they didn't know where they were going with the franchise. <laughs> but I, I enjoy the performance. 
How about you guys? Well, y'all know I love me some Kane Hodder. So <laughs> I really do. He's he's my favorite. So um I I mean I like uh, even though I like part seven, I do like him a little better as Jason in this film. Um and I forgot, was it an interview that he was talking about how he was uh doing a kill scene with was it Eva on the like the dance floor? Right. And he was talking about how like he just actually felt bad because he felt like he was hurting her, but she was just like, No, like you go ahead, do it. And like he just like threw her on the ground. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed that. But um yeah, I love Kane Hodder, but I also love uh, Richard Brooker mm-hmm. as Jason. That's like he's my second favorite, but from part three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, it's hard to not like Kane Harder's performance because he did give Jason a certain personality that I think was missing. He, I think my favorite Jason is actually um, Ted White, who played him in part four. And, and pretty much for the same reason you guys like Richard Brooker. I, I like human Jason. I like the fact, I liked when he could run and he could, ex, you know, express more human emotion. Um, just with his heavy breathing and everything. Um, like, he, he was legitimately terrifying. Now, in terms of zombie Jason, of course, Kane Hodder got it. And I think Kane Hodder did a wonderful job um, making zombie Jason seem, seem like a real threat. I also want to give a huge shout-out to Derek Mears, who played Jason in the, in the reboot, 20, 2009 reboot. Um, I script aside, I thought he was an excellent Jason. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that, that up because um, Friday the 13th Part 8 is the only time in the franchise where we have two Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Kurtzinger, who is the cook in one of the third act chase scenes in the, uh, in the deli. Yeah. Or diner. Uh, went on to play... Jason and Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. And he also played Jason in this movie as well in a couple of, like, uncredited scenes. And Kane Hodder found out after the film came out. He yep. was understandably a little pissed off. I get it. Right. I'm curious as to what their relationship is like. I want <laughs> the details. Get at me, y'all. Right. I also feel like... I'm sorry, um... looking... Nope, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. I also feel like with uh, with Kane's portrayal of Jason in this film, it was kind of like Jason just like gave zero fucks. Like with yeah. the whole scene in the diner, and he's like looking at the waitress like, "Bitch, try me. <laughs> I'll let you live, but just know that I'm legit. I'm real." Yeah. So it was a little comedic. He had like a little comedic timing in the film. He was rude I, I in this think movie. That- Kane Hodder is just a victim of the studio not wanting to pay him his due. Because he'll he talks about Ken and Kim was his protege at the time. So like mm. having your the person you're mentoring fill in for you isn't normally an insult. However, mm. if you look at the way they did him for Freddy versus Jason, like they told him the film was happening and never gave him a phone call. 
as far as reports say. Um, and then just excluded him, which I only bring this up because this film was supposed to continue Tina's story from part mm-hmm. seven, New Blood, except for the studios didn't want to pay uh, Lara Park Lincoln whatever she was asking to reprise her role. So it's definitely mm-hmm. a paramount doing of screwing over people' legacy or longevity in the franchise. I wonder what that movie would have looked like with bringing Lara Perlinka back. Because outside of Tommy Jarvis, none of the characters have really transitioned over to the next film in a significant way in these films. So it would have been interesting to see the lead from part two, or I'm sorry, part seven, become lead in part eight. And Tommy Jarvis only really translates in namesake. Right, because those are three different actors, three different performances, and three very different interpretations of that character. And it sounds to me like it could, except for Corey Feldman, who was Mm -hmm. just busy doing the Goonies. Thank you. Um... (laughs) It seems like money was the thing. It's like, oh, no, yeah. we'll just recast them. It's the Amy Steele. Because I know there were reports that Amy Steele, what, you know, there was a script written for Amy Steele to return on Friday 3, and she didn't want to get typecast, so they obviously wanted the script they went with. There was there were reports that, um, um, oh, my gosh, I forget her name. The, Melanie Kinnaman from Part 5. Um, and I think Shavar Ross as well. They were gonna, they were going to continue in Friday Six, um, but they Ripsy the reckless. Yep, <laughs> but they went with a different direction. So the people behind this movie are cheap when it comes to paying their their actors. They're you know they're 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 due, but at the same time we've also gotten very we've gotten the Friday series that we we know and love. So who knows? Maybe it all will turn out for the best. Uh, with that being said, I think that it definitely is a thing because we do have Never Hike Alone and then the mm-hmm. soon sequel Never Hike Alone in Snow. Mm-hmm. Where, and I don't know his name offhand, but the person who's playing Jason in that film is doing a great job. Yeah. And that's just a fan that just likes doing it. I don't know how much money these kids are making, but you know, and to your point, um, Jenny has returned, or Amy Steele has returned, and, or, hold on, am I remembering this right? Adrian King and Amy Steele were working on a fan film, maybe at the turn of the 2010s, doesn't the turn of the century, I don't know what you call it. (laughs) The 10s. The 10s, so like. There's interest from people who are the survivors, mm-hmm. and the studios just don't want to pay them their due, which is a little fucked up. Yeah, I have conflicted. So Vincent DeSanti plays Jason in the Never Hike Alone movies. Um, I have conflicted feelings because I also I have thought about like, what if they were to make a film that brought back the survivors, like Jenny and Tommy Jarvis and Tina, and they battle Jason. Would that create too much of a a different 
I know, op, you know, create a, a totally different look for the movie, for the franchise, would invite too much of a mythology that would take away from what we love about the franchise. Should we just continue to have Jason kill, you know, random people in the woods? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think? Like, should they, should they continue the stories with existing characters? Do you think it'll go for? So, with that, I actually wrote that down as one of my, like, possible, like, Abilities for a next film, mm-hmm. I would love to see that. I also feel like it would be a cool idea if they did um, a film with like all. Um, so like going back to like the first film with like all the counselors that were the counselors that was at the camp when Jason was a boy that drowned. They're mm. like their family members, like probably like what their great 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 or great great grandkids are camp counselors. And it's like them going through the same crap. Yeah. Like them, just like a whole new generation of camp counselors who just happen to be descendants of the counselors that let Jason drown in the film. Mm-hmm. And then so filling the rack off of what you're saying. I would like you to go further into how did Jason survive the drowning or deal with the devil or became a zombie, deadite, whatever it is. Someone actually defined that mythology to where he keeps coming back to avenge. And who would be the right person to bring that to life? Like, that's gonna have to be a good... Someone's gonna gonna have to write the hell out of that story. I actually have a really dope idea, but I'm gonna tell you guys offline, that's pretty good. If this movie, if this idea gets picked up and standard to a movie and I don't get 10% commission, I'm gonna be pissed. Okay. As to answer your question, I think Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. He understands writing about pain and suffering in a family dynamic and showing the true everyday horror versus, you know, slasher horror. Right. I agree. I can Written see that. by him, directed by someone differently. Because you still need to execute the horror notes well. Maybe Nia DaCosta? Yeah, I would love to be able to tell you definitively yes, but now that (laughs) I've seen Candyman and won't see Candyman or whatever. (laughs) I'm so pissed. That's not like, uh, I wouldn't, Nia DaCosta is not a great director or anything like that. But I don't have enough of her work to compare whether she should take over the franchise or cure or keep doing what she's doing, possibly with Candyman. Oh my gosh. You know who I think would be a great director? Would be Vincent DeSanti. I didn't realize not only did he play Jason and never hike hike alone, he also wrote and directed the movies. So, yeah. That's a good one. Um, I kind of like that because Never Hike Alone, at least on my radar, is the first fan-made film that fans love. So why not give it the Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X treatment of a film made by fans? Yeah. 
I mean, and it's better than the movie we're discussing tonight. So, <laughs> <laughs> may as well. So, if there were, so if we were to continue with the Friday Thirteenth, should we ignore f- Jason X? No. Or- <laughs> no. I like the fact that it's the thing. <laughs> we're just going to ignore this film and this film and just go off of this one. They can Every horror franchise should go to space. Every single one of them. Even Halloween? If you can give me a reason why Michael needed to go up there, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would we ignore Jason Goes to Hell and his ash? Hell, Jason goes to hell. Needs to go to hell. So, I, yeah. I <laughs> that movie. I mean, oh, so do either of you like Jason goes to hell? Uh, uh-uh. no. But okay, my best friend. I'm putting you on blast. That <laughs> is his number one of the whole franchise. What? I take it he's not a horror fan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinions and likes not, and all that stuff, but that's kind of that's sucks. too much. Yeah, I would need him to love himself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I because I think one of the best things that came out of Jason Goes to Hell is um, Creighton Dude, and yep. the character was so strong. And I know there was talk of doing a spinoff with him not that long ago, actually. Um, and I think if Jason Goes to Hell had been received better or had a better box office, I think there would have been more talk surrounding that character because he really stood out. And it's hard to take a character you know, in one of these Jason films and go against Jason and, and be just as popular as Jason. And I truly think that's what Creighton Duke is. If 2020 did not bring the corona bitch around, I would have like dressed up as Creighton Duke myself for Halloween this year. But... They've canceled Halloween here in California. So we'll we'll see for 2021. Aww. I know. Um, so what was like the most memorable skill? Most memorable kill to you guys? Julius. Hands when down, I, Julius. Yeah, when what? I think of this film, I think of that kill. What happened in this kill, Ash? Well, you know, Julius, <laughs> he's uh <laughs> The high school boxer, he's like the best boxer in the school, and um, he encounters Jason. He goes up the ladder up to the um, the roof of a building, and Jason follows him, and he's like, you know what? I'm about to do some punches on him. Like, I'm about to show him what I got. Punches here and there, left, right, left, right, left hook, all that stuff. And he's like, all worn out. And, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to use my last few breaths and be like, show me what you got. He shouldn't <laughs> have done that because you know what happens? Jason's like, okay, I'll bring you all what I got. Bing! Knock his head off. One punch. Literally. <laughs> but yeah. I just, I like that whole scene. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a fun scene. And, it, and you're right. It is like the standout in the movie. And you know, no blood, sure, no blood whatsoever, but it was a fun, uh, fun kill. And that was yours, Gray? Yeah, 
Uh, hands down, it's mine. It's the only character that has ever gone toe-to-toe, although Jason was obviously a fan of um, Muhammad Ali, yeah. where he's just like, I'm going to let this motherfucker wear himself out. <laughs> and uh, it's great to actually see uh, by this time, 1989, this was my second African-American character that wasn't scared of the slasher. Mm. Um, so there's great representation there. Is that even though there was no chance he was ever, ever going to win, he was like, I'm going to face my fear. And I'm sure that wasn't a conscious decision. <laughs> but um, it still worked out well. Yeah, actually, I think both films came out at the same time. Nightmare and Friday Thirteenth, I think, came out the same year. Someone can fact check me later. Wait a minute, which ver- which films? Dream Child. Dream Child came out in '89. Yep, and Jason Takes Manhattan came out, and actually came out a month apart. I believe Friday came out like in the July, and Nightmare came out August 11th. Don't ask me I how I know that. I don't know when Friday Thirteenth came out, but you're right about Nightmare. Um, so I gotta ask because I went to school, I was born and raised in Detroit, you know. Um, so I don't know what other areas are like. Did you guys have boxing in your as a curriculum in your high school? Uh, oh no, we had wrestling, but not boxing. I know okay. that's different, but still. Yeah, just wondering how how typical that was. Um, have you guys gone to senior trip when you're in high school? Nope, not sanctioned by one. the school. But yeah, but not sanctioned by the school. What What did you guys end up doing? Uh, it's it's just called Beach Week. So I grew up in Richmond. We head down to Myrtle Beach, mm-hmm. and I know kids today might go somewhere better. However, this is the nineties, y'all. So <laughs> we went to Myrtle Beach. Um. And there was also Senior Skip Day. I think we went to Bahobeth Beach for Senior Skip Day. Uh, nothing as elaborate as this. I remember, um, I want to say band, orchestra, or choir got to go to New York for a trip. And that was it. Mm. Yeah. I know my senior, cl- senior class, we didn't have like the senior trip. But uh, we had like a senior day, mm-hmm. and that's like when we went around the cars, like did a car parade, and had like a senior picnic on a football field, and just like enjoy each other's company. And just like with Grace School, the choir kids uh, had a chance to go to Disney World. But oh, I wasn't, wow. yeah. But I wasn't part of choir. I was a theater kid, so I missed out on that. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, our school it was it was a fairly large school, so they definitely would not have like sanctioned a senior trip. But I think like with you guys, like individual organizations, like clubs had their own trips planned. But I know there was like this unofficial senior trip. Um, I they went skiing somewhere, somewhere popular. Um, I was not amongst the popular group, so I didn't go. Um, I think for me, one of my most famous favorite kills was actually. Um, Eva's murder, played by mm-hmm. Kelly Hu, were in the in the nightclub scene. Um, 
I think it was just a combination of you see Jason plus all the like the disco lights and the camera was operating in a different way and then he just jumps up. And also, this is the first time that I'm aware of that Jason was fairly, um, I don't know, like telekinetic or whatever. He can like or teleport. He can teleport. So just him jumping was was a bit surprising. Yeah, that's my favorite. That's my second favorite. I always thought that maybe she was high, so that's that why she was like yeah. hallucinating. Yeah, and that's what I always chalked, chalked it up to. And then, but you see him sort of teleporting in other scenes, but uh-huh. in that particular scene, yeah, it definitely played into her being high off coke because you know it's the eighties. Um, where do you guys see? Where, where could you guys have seen this series going? based on this movie. Well, let's say this movie was actually successful and Paramount continued to make movies. Where do we see Jason Part 9 going? <laughs> I Maybe he goes to a beach. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's, all, that's a good question because I know I always like thought about what happens after the end of a movie, like the end of a Friday 13th movie. Mm-hmm. Like, what can happen next? But I don't know. After this one, I don't know. Yeah, like, where are they going now? Yeah. Because, I mean, Jason's all the way up in Manhattan, so how would his body go back to Crystal Lake unless it floats down the sewer system and all that? Or maybe his his remains, like, disintegrated into the water and the water got pumped out and people are drinking it. I don't know. Well, let's explore that for a second because it's supposed to be toxic waste that floods the sewer lines, which doesn't even make sense uh, as a general practice. Um, what what happens to anyone? Period. That's exposed to that. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and maybe that's the crossover. Which came out next year, the, the following year, by New Line Cinema. In New York City. Yeah, Ash is on to something. <laughs> 10%. I, I know there I, was a, um, a script commission for a Jason Takes L.A. for the follow-up. Um, okay. I don't know if the script actually got finished or, if, or whatever happened to it, but I, I know that was a thing. So... How he got there is beyond me, but whatever. Um, I was always confused to how Jason. I, I never understood because these kids go to Camp Crystal High, right, which mm-hmm. is in New Jersey, but they take a cruise to New York. Living in New Jersey and knowing you can get to New York by yeah. car with a half hour, you know. <laughs> It always seemed a bit odd to me. <laughs> but great, you're still in that part of the country, and you're better with geography than me. Um, is this a possibility that you would take a cruise from Jersey to New York? Um, no. Nah, hell no. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not a thing. I think it's one of those things where they were just like, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> the Muppets did it? <laughs> I don't know at what point this happened, so this is just at this point pure gray theory. Is that there were so many scenes proposed to be shot in New York City, and they got dumbed down to what we got in the film 
like even uh, Julius's scene was supposed to take place in Madison Square Garden, and they just didn't have the budget for it. So the boxing fight should have been in a, a typical boxing arena at that time, which really just ended up on a rooftop somewhere in Vancouver. Um, so a lot of things got nixed, as well as, you know, the thought behind it. I think it just turned into, let's just get this done. I would have loved to see that movie where Jason really was at Madison, Madison Square Garden and the Brooklyn Bridge, because I feel like it would have been so, it's, it would have been so over the top that this would have been the campiest film in the entire series. But yep. we'll see. All right. We're getting to the end of the line, guys. So I want to ask you, marry, shag, or kill. You ready? Julius. I'm ready. <laughs> I just started. Julius, Renee, or Tamara? Which one was Renee? Renee was a lead girl. Oh, Rennie. She, Rennie, I'm yeah. sorry. She wasn't, she was kind of bland, so I just made up my own name. <laughs> and then what? Tamara the prom queen and the vixen uh, who wants to go first Ash. <laughs> I will kill Rennie Mary Julius and Shag Tamara wow Wow. I would kill Tamara, fuck Julius, and marry Rennie. Wow. No, I don't know what I'm going to do. I would definitely kill Tamara. Um, <laughs> you said you don't know what you want to do, but you were hard set. <laughs> you know what? I, re- I, cha- I changed my mind. I would actually kill Rennie, and I would fuck Tamara, and I would marry Julius. Because I mean, Renee was just boring. It's 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 nothing against the actress. It's just, I, I, what am I what am I grabbing onto? What am I rooting for? So I think that all. someone's gonna put up with whatever and see it through to the end. That's why I would marry her. I guess I didn't give explanations. My fault. <laughs> uh, Julius is a. He's husband material. I think he is. And Tamara, well, she's DTF. So, <laughs> you know, nighttime is the right time. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you know, actually, before I go, Ashley, you may appreciate this because I feel like you've watched Riverdale. Not anymore. Uh, I stopped after halfway through the second season. <laughs> like a sane person. Right. So, you know, Sheriff Keller on there? Yes. He's in this movie. He plays Wayne. He's the guy with the glasses <gasps> who's in love with Tamara. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And Mind you, blown. Mind blown, right? And did you guys also know that Elizabeth Berkeley was up for the role of Rennie as well? And Pamela Anderson. I, I know about Elizabeth, did not know about Pamela, but it makes really? sense because that's Canada. Why did they choose Pamela Anderson? I mean, I, I because I, I just I feel like for this type of movie that was a major goal. Even I know this is pre Baywatch, but 
Maybe she give a bad audition. All right, whatever. That's but given Bob Wire, I think Pamela could have been a great fit. Although maybe it's because Rennie doesn't actually expose herself in any way, shape, or form. Like she might as well be. Never mind. A nun. Nope. I said never mind. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> Tell take me the offline. high road. Tell me offline. I want to hear it. Me too. All right. Pete, someone who celebrates Rumstringa. Oh, was that a deep cut? Yeah, that's a huge deep cut. The Amish. <laughs> oh, she looks Amish. Oh, I get it. Okay. Well, they're not listening to this, Greg. So. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, electricity. You're right. I don't think they'll be able to listen to this. <laughs> All right, well, this was fun, guys. There you have it. We have discussed Friday 13, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Let us know what you think. Ash, where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Ash to Ashes. That's Ash with the X in the middle, Ashes. Yay. And then, Gray, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Gray himself. That is G-R-A-E himself on Twitter and Instagram. Yay. Is there a... Devin. Well, me, you can find me at INeedYouJesse.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at INeedYouJesse, as well as on Something Ghoulish. Well, you will find an R... (laughs) (laughs) See, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right that's all i got <laughs> oh, have a good night is there is there not a uh a, a supporting article to go with this oh yes oh for some reason i thought i mentioned that yep there is an art a supporting article for this episode that you can find on something ghoulish uh by the time this episode is released um uh, and you'll also be able to find find it on energyjesse.com as well if you guys aren't aware, we are now on Discord. There will be a link in the description notes. Please join us. Isaac Thorne, I'm talking to you. Thank you for all the love on Twitter. Much appreciated. Love to chat with you on Discord. Um, as well as anyone else listening, the invite's down there. Please join us. We're planning a stream aganza October 30th. Be there or I'll be back. Join us. I wasn't ready. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.